You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. It's five o'clock on Friday afternoon. My name's Jacob, here with you on Community Radio Station 3CR, and this is a Friday Rave. Yeah, welcome back to a Friday Rave with me, Jacob, here on Community Radio 3CR, broadcasting 855 on your AM dial in Melbourne through 3CR Digital live streaming at 3cr.org.au or um, through your favourite podcast client. And regular listeners would be aware that an organisation I'm involved in, Renegade Activist Action Force, hosted the Raucous Anti-Aucous Caucus last night um, to try to get some coordination for actions to start happening against the AUKUS Forever Partnership. I'm going to pick a few speeches from last night to play to you today, not because um, they're any better or worse than the other speeches that took place, but because they're from people who haven't appeared on a Friday rave before and uh, might offer a different perspective to 3CR listeners. So without any further ado, stay up with a Friday rave Facebook and social media presence and renegade activists for that matter, and even my own personal one to find out latest actions and events around the AUKUS Pact. So I'm going to put our first speaker on, writer, broadcaster, um, author. You've probably read him primarily in Crikey and Arena, but he's been around a long time, always giving um, a good analysis of current events. Our first speaker, Guy Rundle. AUKUS is the Australia-Britain-United States Agreement uh, on a whole bunch of things. It's announced on the 15th of September, and it commits the three countries to joint activity uh, on high-tech warfare and defence using uh, naval warfare, quantum technologies, cyber military, robotics, and autonomous weapons. Those were the things mentioned in the press release, which is all we really have of AUKUS at the moment. The most publicised part of this has been the alleged the building of eight nuclear submarines for Australia, sharing US nuclear technology and necessitating full te- nuclear facilities in Australian ports. Clinton's going to talk about that in uh, detail. But delivery of these subs, if they happen at all, is decades away. So the AUKUS deal is a major shift in global, global alliances, but it's as much about a shift in the rhetoric of power as the reality of power, I, I, I would argue. Previous and current alliances in a post-colonial world have sought some sort of regional justification, whether it's legitimate or not, and just being based around the Pacific or the new current parallel quad arrangements of Australia, the US, India and Japan as a sort of mega region. AUKUS is an unashamed return to notions of global control by three nations allied on the basis of a shared cultural and historical background, and the presumption that that creates a stronger union and that that union is somehow legitimate across the whole face of the world. 
The prompt for such an alliance has come from the United States uh, and represents the second part of a pivot to Asia strategy, which was inaugurated by uh, Barack Obama. The pivot to Asia is overwhelmingly about the notion that China will be the US's great global competitor, rival and adversary in the decades to come. That will determine the shape of the world. And really, the TPP trade deal was the first and failed attempt uh, to to, um, create this pivot to Asia, TPP always being about uh, geopolitical concerns rather than trade itself. The rapid withdrawal from Afghanistan that we just saw was the prelude to the second stage, which was why it was which was why nobody really cared that it was such a shambles. Uh, and, you know, AUKUS is now the lead, leading element of this new pivot to Asia. So the US and its allies and its uh, train of sycophants in the media claim that, that AUKUS and other things are a response to a, a new and aggressive expansionist policy by China. Um, China, in turn, claims that it is simply returning to a full presence in the world after decades in which it was turned inwards and which it had um, deliberately minimised its, its global sort of footprint. But it also claims that its specific moves uh, are in, in the South China Sea and elsewhere are in response to US attempts to encircle it, to engage its regional rivals in an alliance against it uh, and, uh, and to delegitimate its own claims within the region. So at the moment, much of this turns on the question of the uh, South China Sea, which uh, China made a substantial claim on in the 1930s before uh, before the communist takeover in 1949. Uh, and so we have a situation where both China and Taiwan draw on that 1930s claim to, to argue for a large section of the South China Sea. Um, which is, uh, you know, in contravention of the law of the sea uh, as it currently stands. The crucial part of the the rhetoric in states like Australia and the UK that gains public support for the idea that this is something more than a regional um, dispute between China and its its neighbours, it seems to me, is the implicit exceptionalist claims of the US Uh, that all other nations must restrain themselves and stick to their regional spheres, while the US claims the world as its its global and regional sphere at the same time and its legitimate uh, extension of operation. Uh, And that obviously draws not simply on on its accumulated military power, it also draws on the ideology of its exceptionalism as a representation of you know, human, uh, uh, the true picture of what human, the human future is, the, the last best hope of humanity, as it were. So, so this puts us in a situation where China is accused of expansion uh, for breaking the law of the sea. The US refuses to sign the law of the sea. Um, so, so the legitimation is, is, is based overwhelmingly on whiteness global whiteness. The US and the and Australia and the UK uh, are unified by that. And it's that is an extraordinary sort of move in our era that they would so unashamedly put that back together uh, and, and abandon any pretense, pretense of colonial things. 
what it does chiefly um, in, in our terms is it draws us into a US command structure in which there's no place for Australia to have both a dual dialogue with China and other nations uh, about its uh, its defence, even while it's in a defence alliance with the US, but it also creates a command structure in which we have no initiative to exit uh, should there come to uh, a situation of tension. And that's what we've really got to focus on, it seems to me, in a campaign against it. I think there's large support for the US alliance in Australia, but as the Iraq war and, and uh, the Vietnam war showed, there's much less support for its adventures and the actual ramifications of that. So, so AUKUS is soft and, and we can target it that way. Thanks very much. Our next speaker is someone who's been, who I've known for a long time and who's been working on, well, not just nuclear issues, but specifically um, the campaign to utterly eliminate nuclear weapons from the planet. Um, she's a founder of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, but last night in a Renegades gig, um, as ever, she speaks not with an organisational hat on, but no one's hat but her own, um, Dimity Hawkins. But tell me, how do you see AUKUS? as impacting on that larger campaign? Well, it has a lot of impacts, Jacob, um, as we will get into, no doubt, and as we have already gotten into. But first I wanted to acknowledge that I'm speaking tonight from Nam on the lands of the Wandri people and pay my respects to the elders of this place, both past and present. And just note again that since the time of the first invasion in 1788, this nation has been beholden to militarism by foreign powers. And tonight's topic is just further evidence of a new wave. Um, as Guy and Clinton have already pointed out, of course, the nuclear-powered attack subs are just one of the few parts of the recently announced um, AUKUS agreement that we have any details on. And even then, those details are fleeting and opaque at best. There's been lots of talk in the last couple of weeks about Trojan horses, a foot in the door, the thin edge of the wedge, and I agree that nuke subs could be any or all of these. The larger issues here, and I think this is in line with what Clinton was just saying, are the ways in which this aggressive announcement of nuclear submarines play into the hands and agendas of nuclear-armed nations. Richard Tanter has reminded us that there are three groupings of nuclear-armed states now, of, of nuclear states, um, relating to nuclear states now. There's the nuclear-possessing states, of which there are nine, there are nuclear supporting or umbrella states such as Australia, NATO, uh, Japan and South Korea, which make up about 30 states. And now there are the nuclear ban states, which means those 56 who have now ratified or 86 who have signed so far to the nuclear ban. The proposal to nuclearize Australian military submarines leads Australia down a path that ties us much further into a forever partnership with nuclear possessor states who will run our military, including with nuclear-powered subs using highly enriched uranium. So is this interoperability or intractability? President Biden is carrying on the legacy of nuclear possession. Current estimates say his finger hovers over the button of an arsenal of around 1,800 deployed nuclear weapons today. Many of them are on high-trigger alert, ready to be launched within minutes. And the UK are no princes of peace in this either. The UK have currently deployed a further 120 nuclear weapons. 
Between them, including those not currently deployed, these two countries alone possess around 5,745 nuclear weapons. Despite this, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, or the TPNW, came into force in January of this year. The current Australian government does not support this treaty, with a sustained adherence to the concept of Australian security being tied to US nuclear weapons capabilities through extended nuclear deterrence. Along with our hosting of certain US facilities, the Australian government has been in a de facto nuclear alliance in ways for decades. But through strong advocacy, resistance and sheer determination, the push for a nuclear capable military and associated nuclear industries has been held back for decades too. We have seen nuclear plans fall in the face of broad community opposition time and again. We will be seeing Australian nuclear resistance again now front and centre, working against this new version of nuclear colonialism. On the day that the nuclear subs were announced, Prime Minister Morrison was quick to claim Australia is not seeking to establish nuclear weapons or establish a a civil nuclear capability. But he was just as quick to shy away from signing the TPNW. The treaty completely prohibits nuclear weapons, including having them stationed, deployed from or installed on territory of states' parties. The treaty also bans nations from assisting, encouraging or inducing anyone to engage in any activities that support the possession or use or threat of use of nuclear weapons. In our region, we have many states who have joined the TPNW. Those include 10 of the Pacific Island Forum states. Nine ASEAN states are either parties to the treaty or or have signed so far. There are many looking again at how the AUKUS nuke subs will contravene or impact on a range of international laws, such as Clinton pointed out with the um, law of the sea. But there's also those that have signed up to the TPNW, the South Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty, and also, of course, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. For many here in the Pacific, though, it is hard to avoid the obvious that these are the same players, the US, UK and France, that conducted hundreds of nuclear tests across our region last century. They are now claiming to protect our peace and our security. This region has identified over and again that our greatest security threat is climate change. Further nuclear risk to the Blue Pacific, whether through nuclear accidents, targeting, waste or war fighting, are unwanted and unnecessary. We do not need to nuclearize Australia's military submarines. We do not need to encourage, enable, or bind our security to nuclear weapons. We do not have to continue the nuclear colonialism that we have seen and felt for so much of the last century. We can and should be de-escalating nuclear warfighting plans, seeking nuclear justice for past harms, and saving humanity from future nuclear threats. We can and should be joining the nuclear ban treaty. We can and we will continue to work for a nuclear-free Australia within a nuclear-free Pacific. Now, sometimes when we're working on these kind of issues, we concentrate on whiz-bang weapons and um, sexy submarines and government policies, but it's important to remember that the first point is always the impact it has on the people on the ground. Our next speaker, Talay Mangione, and new to a Friday rave, has been working on these issues for some years in the Pacific against nuclear weapons. Yeah, I think it's deeply unsettling for a lot of Pacific people based on their history. Um, 
And before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm currently living and working on the lands of Ngunnawal and Ngambri people here in Canberra. Um, so today I'm speaking with you as a Pacific Studies educator in Australia and a member of Young Solwara Pacific, a regional movement comprised of a constellation of activists from the Pacific that stand for a nuclear-free and independent Pacific. As a woman of Fijian heritage who grew up in Sydney, I'm quite well acquainted with how Australia and big powers like the UK and US of AUKUS views the Pacific in a historical and contemporary sense. Our ocean, which accounts actually for one third of the world's surface area, is viewed through a white colonial gaze that perpetuates a false narrative. Our Pacific region is constantly belittled, viewed as empty, void, and just a crossing point between several big important land masses. And yet conveniently, nearly all colonial powers from the late 19th century rushed to plant their flags on our islands and claim them as their own. For centuries, Indigenous populations and islands have been seen as tiny, insignificant and on the margins of global affairs, geopolitics and international relations. But as the nuclear history of the Pacific demonstrates, we are on the front line and centre of all these things. Most Australians have no idea that the Indigenous land of this country and our Pacific neighbours have been sacrifice zones for the interests of nuclear colonialism. 318 atmospheric and underground nuclear tests took place of what is currently known as the Marshall Islands, Australia, Kiribati and French Polynesia, when there were territories or colonies of the powers um, of America, the UK, Australia and France respectively. The fallout didn't just conveniently end at the end of a state border drawn in the ocean. Nuclear fallout was transboundary harm and impacted many countries across the Pacific. What's more is that the Pacific has historically been a site of many instances of improper nuclear waste dumping, nuclear storage and nuclear power gone wrong, like in the case of Fukushima. In addition, United States military bases and port facilities are likely to store these weapons with their vessels carrying them with this um, neither confirm or deny policy. Orcas and these nuclear submarines that Australia plans to build are just another extension of this nuclear architecture in the Pacific, which is a world that has actively resisted and protested it for decades. The first step to building solidarity with um, Pacific peoples is education of everyday Australians about their place within the region and how we are vastly out of step with the needs and wants of Pacific peoples. How are most of the deaths at DFAT nowadays dedicated to the Pacific Islands? Um, and I'm wondering if they know the names of Muraroa, Fangatalfa, Bikini, Kiramati, Johnston, Emufield, Maralinga and Montebello. As a young person growing up in Australia, you're rarely taught anything about the Pacific within our school system, besides maybe a Kokoda track story bound out in all types of Anzac mythology. And we see ourselves as completely divorced from the Pacific region, um, with no sense of our former colonial past with territories like New Guinea and Nauru. Um, to just generally widespread and ec continuing economic imperialism. Instead, it's framed as either a holiday retreat or a place with corrupt, unstable, aid-dependent or hungry governments. Um, only very recently and very suddenly has Scott Morrison attempted a diplomatic step up in the region. And this is a very transparent move to counter China with America. Now he's calling islanders his Pacific family of Ovale, as you say in Fijian, while at the same time agreeing to this military submarine pact without any consent of Pacific leaders. And in my opinion, as a um, Pacific person living in Australia, Australia's historically flippant approach, plus their neocolonial policy decision, decisions like AUKUS is not family behaviour. Family in this instance means knowing, valuing and learning about Pacific people's cultural diversity, their history, their relationships and stemming political dynamics here.
There's potential for true kinship and solidarity um, on an equal playing field instead of unequal paternalistic big brother and little brother scenarios. Um, I think Australians should learn that the Pacific time and time again has stood up for a nuclear-free and independent Pacific from the grassroots to governmental levels for over four decades. Australia should listen to our Pacific leaders like Prime Minister Taneti Ma'amau of Kiribati, who recently said the AUKUS nuclear, nuclear submarine deal puts the Pacific at risk, or Reverend James Bhagwan from the Pacific Conference of Churches, who said AUKUS strikes at the heart of Pacific regionalism. AUKUS puts a target on the backs of my family and friends in the islands, and I think nuclear submarines are not a peaceful solution to anything. So a key priority for issues of our region are definitely climate change and COVID-19. We need to recenter these. I think we can all agree here that this is where Australian tax dollars need to go, not to a new Cold War. Our final speaker that I'm going to play to you today um, probably needs no introduction to 3CR listeners. And first time I met him, he was doing a Stick Together show, I think. That was some years ago, probably longer than either of us are care to admit to. Um, long-time anti-nuclear campaigner, um, works for ACF, but just like Dimity Hawkins, he spoke last night with no one's mouth but his own. Um, our final speaker for Friday Rave today, Dave Sweeney. When AUKUS was announced, shortly after AUKUS was announced, the, uh, the Chief of Navy, Vice Admiral Michael Noonan, circulated uh, video comments to the ADF, in particular to the RAN. And in it he spoke and he said that the AUKUS will shape the direction of our Navy forevermore and will no doubt change the shape of our nation. Now, the concern from an environmental and ecological perspective is that the, the change in that shape of our nation is one that we don't want and is one that is unhelpful. Um, and as you've mentioned, Jacob, our concern is that AUKUS is a stepping stone uh, to a domestic nuclear industry. We're concerned about the Trojan horse dimensions of the AUKUS plan and what better vessel to introduce an idea under the radar than a submarine. There are three key areas of concern that I want to touch on tonight. Um, and that's apart from the myriad of other areas of concern that other speakers will discuss about security aspects, sovereignty, international reputation and others. But I want to talk about pressures for an increase in domestic nuclear power, an increased pressure and expectation that Australia hosts radioactive waste, and the environmental impacts of nuclear submarines on our oceans, our ports, our coastal waters, our ports and port communities and public health. Now, for many of you, it's no surprise to see the domestic nuclear power argument come around. It's like a, a fast returning comet. It comes around, it shines bright, it disappears and then it comes back. Like some of you will recall a dozen years ago, John Howard and Ziggy Swakowski talking about the need for 20 reactors by 2050. Uh, in the middle of last decade, there was a Royal Commission in South Australia into expanding the nuclear industry. Since 2018, there has been oppressed by conservative political forces, Keith Pitt in Canberra, Mark Latham in New South Wales and the Liberal Democrats in Victoria that's seen parliamentary inquiries into repealing state and federal prohibitions on nuclear technology in Australia. 
So there's nothing new here, and these have on economic grounds, social licence grounds, and many other ways been batted out of court each time it's come up. But there is an extra level of reanimation and swagger about pro-nuclear uh, advocates since the AUKUS announcement. We've seen Matt Canavan and Barnaby Joyce and other federal politicians out. We've seen the Mineral Council of Australia talking up small modular reactors. It doesn't matter that they don't exist in the real world. Apparently they're the saviour and the MCA is spending a lot of money and time spruiking that. We've seen polls in the Australian saying that support grows for nuclear power, even though the number of respondents that responded for a position of for or against the majority were against. So if you put that body of momentum together with the forthcoming climate conference of parties which starts in Glasgow on November the 1st, you can see that AUKUS is fueling a push for domestic civil nuclear power and nuclear industry. So we're concerned, environment groups and others, that a pathway to nuclear powered subs could become a river of public cash for nuclear subsidies. We're also concerned about what this means for radioactive waste. Currently, some of you will be aware of this, some not, but currently the federal government is looking to locate Australia's first dedicated national radioactive waste facility near a town called Kimber, west of Wyala in regional South Australia. Now, it's a highly politicised and deeply flawed plan. It's opposed by many in the, in the local community, especially grain growers, grain producers in the Air Peninsula and the bungalow traditional owners. And the Bungalow Aboriginal people were explicitly excluded from a community ballot that was meant to measure community sentiment about this waste proposal. Um, the Bungalow were also had the indignity uh, of being explicitly attempted to have any right for procedural review or legal challenge to the site removed from the enabling legislation by Minister Keith Pitt, the minister who today wants to open public cash to coal industry. So the Kimber proposal is contested. The issue is set to grow over the coming months. And I'd ask you, this is a gathering of really informed, influential, significant people, connected people who make a difference in this country. I'd ask you to keep your eyes and ears open for this one because assistance will be needed as this goes on. But many of us are concerned, Jacob, that this AUKUS push will, could see the Kimber proposal more from a suboptimal waste management plan to a submarine waste facility. Now it's important in order to keep going to always find something positive in a situation. One positive is that people are talking about this, not rolling over, talking about this and talking about the wider nuclear industry. Another positive and it's an important one is that AUKUS shows that sovereign risk cannot ever be used credibly again by any Australian politician who wants to justify ecologically destructive behaviour. Australia has just torn up a $90 billion contract at the highest level of security. And we get, we hear environmentalists time and time again, oh, not possible, sovereign risk, sends the wrong signals, compensation claims, well, that's out the window. And that's one positive of this very not positive thing. The third area of concern I want to flag tonight is to capture or just touch on some of the many unknowns of AUKUS without getting too rumsfeld about it all. But there are many things that we do not know. Along with waste management and nuclear stewardship, as it's called, we don't know the extent 
of the impacts around planning, emergency and incident response capacity, public and environmental health impacts that this plan poses to our seas, our waters and our peoples. Um, nuclear subs sink. Nuclear subs have accidents. They catch fire. Nine have sunk and not in combat. And nuclear subs have limited containment and safety mechanisms compared to terrestrial ones. And we're well aware that terrestrial ones have proven risky and unreliable. And nautical ones are far less in their capacity. Look, tonight I'm very conscious we're pressed for time. So I'll hold it to those three points of Trojan horse for a domestic nuclear industry, increased pressure to host radioactive waste, and a plethora of increasing and unnecessary and very real, not quantified, risks that this poses to our people and in our environment. I look forward to in the breakout room. The breakout room I'm in is stopping a Trojan horse becoming, um, or nuclear subs becoming nuclear subsidies. I'm keen to discuss what we can do to stop a very disturbing and dangerous expansion in that breakout session for any who care to join. Um, and I just want to close, Jacob, by thanking everyone here tonight for attendance and attention, and also the organisers of this, RAF, for the initiative and the opportunity to present. It's a really profound, uh, it's a profound escalation. People are very true when they say it might take a lot of time, but it might take a lot of time to roll out the absolute worst, but a journey starts with a direction. And if we choose to go down road AUKUS, it's not the road that this country needs to go, wants to go, or the world needs, or that we, as citizens, not clients or customers, citizens of this nation, want to be part of. Yep, well, that's a Friday rave for today. Rave more at you next week. Stay up with our social media pages to stay current with all the anti-AUKUS actions.